Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Fatma. We have a great episode lined up for you today. But first, I need to ask you for your support. You can now support us directly, along with Candleland's other two political podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple's podcast app, you can now get ad-free episodes of The Backbench, Commons, and Wag the Dug, along with bonus content and ad-free archives for just $2.99 a month. This is a great deal, but really... It's an affordable way to support this show directly, along with the other great Candleland political podcasts that are changing how politics are talked about in Canada and who gets to talk about them. Candleland was built on listener support and it continues to drive everything we do. This is how we're able to go weekly. It's how our colleagues at Wag the Dug will get to put out even more episodes as the Ontario election heats up. And it's how Commons will be able to produce more ambitious episodes and tell amazing stories. If you haven't subscribed to premium feeds in Apple Podcasts before, they have made it super easy. Just click on the library tab, go to our show page, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to us and supporting us. Now on to our episode made possible by listeners like you. morning and we're shocked to learn they have a new NDP Liberal government that is planning to spend and tax unlike anything we've seen before. Mr. Speaker, Canadians saw what aggressive partisanship and toxicity in this place uh, led to in terms of uh, uh, a slowed down agenda delivering for Canadians. What we've been able to do is to use our power in this minority government to get help to people. Hey, it's Fatma Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian politics. Last week, something truly shocking happened in Ottawa. Cooperation. From the outside, Canadian politics often looks like a blood sport between the shitposting, the partisan jabs, and MPs using question period to win political points rather than to get answers on things that affect us all. I mean, even the Prime Minister has called Parliament toxic. So it was really surprising to learn that the Liberals and the NDP struck a major deal that will affect political decision-making for the next three years-ish. Now, this is not a coalition. It's called a confidence and supply agreement. That means the NDP agrees to support the Liberals on budgets and confidence votes. 
In exchange, the Liberals promised to prioritize certain policies, like dental care, pharmacare, housing programs, and climate initiatives. Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau started talking about this after last year's election. It picked back up in January when the Prime Minister called up the NDP leader to congratulate him on the birth of his daughter. They've been talking ever since. And boom, an agreement that Ottawa has never, ever seen before. Now, I wanted to understand more about how this major moment of collaboration happened and how it will change the way things get done in Ottawa for all of us. So I got on Zoom with someone who was in the room where it all happened, Jagmeet Singh's chief of staff, Jennifer Howard. You might not hear about her much in the public, but Jennifer is a big deal. She's not only a crucial part of the NDP machinery, she's also the former finance minister for Manitoba. And she does not do a lot of in-depth interviews with journalists. So let's get into it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Jennifer, hello, and thank you for doing this. Well, you know, I'm always up for new things. So, yeah, no worries. I don't do a lot of these things, but I'm happy to happy to do it. So I'm told you're one of the architects of this deal. True or false? Wow. Um, you know, I was certainly part of it. I was certainly in the room. But, you know, really, honestly, it is... Um, this was an agreement made by the leader and the prime minister. They were really the driving forces behind it. Would it be more accurate to call you matchmaker? <laughs> I don't know. No. Uh, no. I mean, you know, of course, like they, you know, I helped to do some of the heavy lifting that got us there and and work things out and take things from ideas and discussions to, okay, what does that actually look like? You know, try to get things written, written down on paper. That would probably be my role. Got it. So... Uh, you know, knowing that you were in the room when this deal was going on. Um, yeah. And, and I know certain details have come out about it. You know, the the phone call on the day Jungmin's daughter was born, um, you know, the the way that sort of conversation evolved over time and, and progressed over time. So many of these political conversations happen behind closed doors. And, and often we're, we're very curious, like, how did this mm-hmm. happen? Because to the public... It's Jagmeet versus Justin, not Jagmeet and Justin working together. So can you give us a little peek behind the curtain? What was the general mood like? You know, how did it happen? Sure. You know, I mean, first I would say like there have been um, something I think that people don't always see in politics because they do tend to see the the adversarial nature of politics, right? They see the question period, they see the debates. So they don't see a lot of the other work is actually kind of collaborative and constructive and is talking about issues or policies or programs and how we move forward. And so, you know, there have been several conversations, particularly in minority parliaments between the prime minister and 
and Jigmeet, I would say probably between the prime minister and other leaders. And through the pandemic, that happened increasingly, where, you know, it is a more constructive dialogue. That doesn't mean there aren't differences of opinion in those Mm -hmm. discussions, for sure. And so I would say, you know, the discussions with uh, Jigmeet and the prime minister were constructive, honest. There are times they disagreed. They honestly say they disagree. There are times when they think the other is wrong. They honestly say that they think the other is wrong and for the reasons. But, you know, the other thing I would say is they're both pretty motivated to see where we can move forward, where we can get some progress and some help to people who need help. And so that was always the the underlying energy, right? Is how do we actually get something done? Okay, you don't agree there. That's not going to work. Let's try this over here. Is this a way to do it? Are you comfortable sharing specifics about like, you know, a disagreement they had or an agreement that was very easy for them to come to? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, we've had a kind of a longstanding uh, disagreement when it comes to electoral reform and what that looks like. And, you know, we have a longstanding position on proportional representation. And, you know, I would say that, you know, the, the, the government doesn't share that position. And so, you know, there, there is a difference there where I think at the end of the day, we just agreed that we don't agree. And, and we'll keep trying to move forward on what we think it should look like and, and see where we where we get to. Yeah, I th- I would say, you know, electoral reform stands out as a place where we just did not have enough agreement to move forward. I mean, I know what's in the deal, right? We've seen the documents and since it happened, we've seen things like pharmacare, dental care, climate policy, housing strategies, and more. Can I ask you, you know, the things that they disagree on, were those things that the NDP and Jagmeet were trying to push for in this agreement? And did they just not make the cut? Um. I don't know about that. I mean, I think like we sort of approached this from, you know, where do we know there is some common ground that we can maybe build on and and we can like, you know, get things that are a little bit more in terms of the way we would do it or a little bit faster. Uh, But then there are also some things where, you know, dental care. Um, is not something that the government had committed to, had put in its platform, in fact, voted against. You know, about nine months ago, we put forward a motion by Jack Harris that is this dental care plan that is in this agreement, and the Liberals and the Conservatives voted against that. Um, So, you know, that was a place where now there was an opening, now there was an appetite to really move forward on that. What do you think changed well, I think dental care is a good idea, and that is helpful. I I would suspect, I don't know, you know, we heard from a lot of our MPs uh, coming off the campaign, both in 2019 and 2021, that they felt they got a lot of positive reaction to dental care at the doors, surprisingly so, that that was something that really seemed to connect with what people were needing. I'm sure the Liberals hear the same thing from the people that go out to campaign for them, uh, but I also think it was probably clear that in this agreement, we would need uh, something substantial that could also demonstrate to people in short order how this would impact them, mm. that, that, that people would be able to see a result from this in the term of this agreement, that we, you know, there are some other things in here that are longer term, longer range, maybe a little bit harder to get your mind around how does this actually affect me in my day-to-day life. But we were pretty clear that there needed to be some things in here that people were going to experience uh, real measurable help in their lives in short order. And I think dental care fit the bill for that. And when you say longer stuff, are you referring to the climate and housing things that caught my attention? I think think the climate and housing 
portions also have a, a possibility to get more concrete results sooner. But I also think, you know, like those are problems, crises that are also going to take some longer term thinking. So I think on housing, you know, there's some immediate um, injection of money to up the supply of rental housing, especially affordable rental housing, which we desperately need. Um, but we also have to tackle the way that the housing market has become just kind of this boon for speculators. We And that that is a bit of a longer process. Uh, on the climate crisis, I think there are some things that we can do pretty pretty quickly, like retrofit programs to help homes be more energy efficient. But we also really have to get serious about, you know, if we are moving off of fossil fuels, what are we doing for people whose jobs, communities depend on that industry? How are we bringing them to a place of security, knowing that there's going to be a job and a good life for them? And I think that is, for us, that has been part of the discussion around fighting the climate crisis that has not really moved forward. That has received a lot of, a lot of good words a lot of acknowledgement that you need to do that, but not really a plan. And I think that that is critical for us. Can I ask, because we've heard this a lot from the Conservative Party mostly, but also some critics, why not make this a coalition? Wouldn't that have given the NDP more power to sort of be in the room where decisions are being made? Mm -hmm. I don't think it would, honestly. Like, I, I, I think that a coalition really only works when the parties are pretty evenly matched in terms of power. And that is not this situation. I'm, I'm talking about like parliamentary power, right? This, the government is the government. It is, there's no doubt that they can govern. They, they, they won that right in the election. They formed a government. They are governing. They have a very stable minority, right? So I think a coalition actually, so let's say we go into a coalition, they give us one cabinet seat that does not give us a lot of influence or a lot of power. And I think also, you know, it's very important for us that like we are clearly New Democrats. We are not liberals. We are clearly an opposition party. That is our role to oppose. So I think coalitions, you know, really are more of a question when they only work when all the parties in there have the discipline that they kind of have to stick together or they won't be able to govern. That is not really the case in this parliament. (laughs) That almost sounds like a diss on politicians. No, no, no. But, you know, that that is like in any in any arrangement, there has to be like, you know, you all have yeah. to have equal things to gain and lose or the relationship doesn't work. And I don't think in coalition in this parliament, I don't think that would be true. Jennifer, can I ask you to quickly like explain the difference between a coalition and disagreement? Just oh my god, oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> um, go back to well, in coalition, I think is more like we're going to govern together. So we're going to be part of a government together. There's going to be power sharing. You're going to have some cabinet seats. Um, that is a coalition, right? And you more often see that in a situation, like I think think of there was one in Saskatchewan, probably is the most recent one in Canada, I might be wrong, where like the NDP was, you know, one or two seats short of being able to govern. And the Liberal Party was had one or two seats. So the only way that they could govern would be together. This is an agreement to provide confidence votes for the government so the government doesn't fall on a confidence motion. 
pretty narrowly defined as like budget measures mostly. Um, and, you know, we're not going to put forward a non-confidence motion to this agreement. We're not going to vote for a non-confidence motion. And so it's like, we're not going to vote to bring the government down as long as you do these things. Mm-hmm. So that is, so we're not part of the government. We're not power sharing with the government, but are agreeing to allow them to govern as long as they do these things. So all the calls that Jagmeet is the deputy prime minister are false. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if people keep wanting to, you know, if the conservatives keep wanting to use the words prime minister and Jagmeet Singh in the same sentence, I'm all for it. Like, I think we should, <laughs> let's condition people to, to accept that as a reality. This is interesting because as much as it just seems like a friendly agreement where the public perceives things are going to get done, there's going to be some positive changes from it. There are questions, too, about how the NDP is going to hold the government's feet of fire, mm-hmm. right, with this agreement in place. Like, how do you oppose a government when you've agreed to agree with them? How can you be tough on them when you're relying on them to deliver policy? But this is the way that a lot of politics actually does happen in the world, right? Like, Maybe more so, I say, at the municipal level. Often you've got city councillors who agree with some things and vote together on some things and then oppose each other on other things. And nobody, and that's the way that that works. I don't, I, I think that it, it maybe has become a little bit foreign to us in the parliamentary system, the notion that, you know, you could agree to work together on this policy and then you could completely oppose each other on another policy. But frankly, that is more the way parliamentary democracy was designed. It was not designed to be like, you know, we're going to oppose everything and we're going to vote in favor of everything. And mm-hmm. and so I think it is possible to say on these things, we agree that there is enough common ground. It's also true that what is in this deal is not enough for New Democrats. It's not the New Democrat platform that is in this agreement, despite what the conservatives may want people to believe. (laughs) And there's lots more room to go. So I don't think there is a problem in saying, yeah, on this, we agree. We're going to help you move this forward. We're going to vote for these things. Over here, we don't agree. And we're going to get up and ask questions every day. And we're going to vote against it. And we're going to try to move the envelope forward. It's interesting hearing you describe parliamentary democracy in such a rosy light, because I agree with you. That's what I'd like to believe, how politics works. But we've heard a lot of chatter about, you know, how there's increasing toxicity and dysfunction in parliament Mm -hmm. that may have necessitated a deal like this. And Mm -hmm. and I've also, you know, read that five out of the last seven federal parliaments were minority governments. So. Is this an experiment or do you see this as a model of how you expect parliament to function in the future? It's mm, a good question. I think it's probably both, right? It is a little bit of an experiment. It's not something that's been done at the federal level before, although it's been done, you know, more or less successfully in other countries. It's been done provincially. Um, I don't know if it will be a model. I think that we have to yet judge that. Does does it result in the kind of change and the kind of policies that are going to help people out? Does it allow for opposition parties to continue to to have our main function, which is to hold the government accountable? I think those are questions we will have to judge it on. I think the ingredients are all there in the agreement to allow those things to happen. I think that is the common understanding, right? I mean, many times times in the discussions, you know, we were both very clear, look, we are still an opposition party. Our job is to hold the government to account. We're going to insist on the things that enable us to do that. 
Does that also mean that we're going to have constructive conversations about how to move forward? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I think we'll have to see. But I also think, like, it is true, I believe, that in Canada, you know, we're kind of trying to force this um, system of, of polar opposite when really the the reality is in our parliament anyways you've got a multi-party parliament and you have for a while but we try to like fit everything into a duality right we try to kind of squeeze everything well there's the opposition and there's the government and the opposition opposes everything and the government hates the opposition and they hate the government and that's our system and that isn't our system it's a multi-party system where you will sometimes see you know the liberals align with the bloc and the conservatives on something and then and another thing, they may align with us and the block, and sometimes all the opposition parties vote together. That is more the reality. And so I do think if we are likely in a parliamentary democracy with multiple parties, where any party getting to a majority of the seats is the exception, not the rule, then we're going to need some new ways of governing that we maybe haven't thought of before. My first thought well, when you're saying this is, does this mean you're having similar talks with other parties? Um, maybe not like as formalized, but but not more as formalized. Of- no, but throughout the two minorities, like since 2019, yeah. I mean, I have had conversations, not in the last few weeks, but I've had conversations with the conservative chief of staff. You know, we have had conversations with the Bloc. We have had conversations with the Greens. All of the different parties and their staff have had multiple discussions with each other on different on different issues where, you know, we have similar goals or similar interests. That is not new. And it happens in a majority government as well. I think the minority parliament plus the pandemic, mm-hmm. when there was so, you know, there was a need for government to do so much in a short period of time, probably forced a lot more of that discussion than might have happened in another time. But, you know, I've worked in politics at some level for, well, I guess going on 20 years or more. And um, it's commonplace to me that you talk to the, you know, whoever's on the other side of the aisle. That is not an exception. That's the rule. Can I ask you, why doesn't that translate publicly? Like, you know, in the public, it's very rah-rah, we hate each other, we disagree (laughs) with you, you suck kind of rhetoric. And then hearing you talk about what's happening behind the scenes sounds more like, okay, so maybe they are working together to better the country. Well, I'm going to, I mean, this is, I don't know how appreciated it's going to be by folks in the media, but some of that is because that is the way the media covers politics. By and large, the media in this country, I think, covers politics as as if it was a sport. It writes the story of who won and who lost. Even the story of this agreement has been written a lot about, well, who won and who lost? How is this to the liberals' favor? How is this not in the New Democrats' interest? How will this affect the conservatives? I get that. That's a fascinating story for me, too. I love politics. I love the gameplay of politics. I love the strategy. But there's also a purpose, right? There's also a reason why we do this. And the purpose isn't the game. The purpose is what you can achieve. And most people on the staff level, and I would say at the elected level, get into politics to do that. So I think that's part of it is what we've kind of, you know, reduced politics to a sport where we really want to watch it in the way of like who won that point, who lost that point. And we're not often telling the story of what the purpose of it is. Um, I also think like, you know, we have, um, we don't always, I guess, believe Canadians 
when they tell us that what they want is for for them to elect politicians who then go to work and get things done for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we haven't always taken Canadians at their word with what they want. I think it's fair game to offer a contrast. I think it's fair game to be critical. But most of our history in Canada hasn't been about politics where we hate each other. It's been politics where we disagree, where we're opposed, where we're adversaries, not where we're enemies. That is a more recent development, I think, and probably something that some political practitioners have borrowed from from the example in the States. Well, it's interesting to go back to your point on media, right? I think all that political rhetoric makes having this kind of conversation, the one that you and I are having, difficult on on Mm -hmm. the front pages of newspapers. Because when you watch Question Period or, or you listen to the partisan jabs in social media, you know, content put out by politicians or public statements or hear, you know, the interim conservative leader talk about backdoor socialism (laughs) when it comes to this deal, it's hard to know or or even believe that Canadian politics can work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. I think that all that you're saying is true. And that's what people see. And and I I'm not going to you know, I don't have rose-colored glasses. A lot of that is true, <laughs> right? In politics, people say things that are outrageous. And and often, you know, the temptation is there to do that because it is sometimes the shortest road, right? Outrage moves clicks on social media. We all know that, right? It's, that is something that gets people fired up. And outrage is part of our history too, right? Like Tommy Douglas was a populist. I don't think populism is a bad word. He was a populist. What does that mean? He met people where they were. He empathized with the struggles that they had and the emotions that that raised in them. And he helped them analyze who was to blame and what we could do about it. I think that's perfectly legitimate. But I think the challenge is when populism just stops at the outrage and who's to blame and doesn't go forward to the solutions that we could actually put in place. So that's where we're, I think when you see some of the things the conservatives have been engaging in, you know, they just kind of, they stop at the outrage and they don't go forward to, so what would it mean to fundamentally change the system so that people weren't getting left out and left behind? They're not willing to do those things. They're willing to complain about people uh, facing high gas prices. But when we put forward a solution that would see oil and gas make less profits in order to give other people a break, they're not willing to vote for that. So beyond an agreement like this, are there other ways to you know, come to a middle ground, even if you disagree and, and, and create good policy like mm-hmm. dental care? Yeah. You know, People watch Question Period and understand why, and that's what's covered, and it's exciting and dramatic. Like, people should watch a a normal three-hour committee meeting sometimes studying a piece of legislation, and they would see a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. People try to put forward amendments. Sometimes they come forward. Sometimes they don't. We'll bring in experts and witnesses to talk about what is happening and try to listen to their advice and change things. I think what this agreement could do, if it all works, is inject even more of that constructive dialogue about legislation, constructive dialogue about policies and programs before they get so like set in place that it's impossible to change. So that that I think could help make that more of the more of the norm. 
but you know, we'll have to see. Well, it's going to take vigilance on all of our parts to make sure that that is what happens. And there will be times when we will vehemently disagree. That is also going to happen. And we also have to find a way to do that that doesn't make any other discussion impossible. Well, I was going to ask, you know, every contract usually has a departure clause. What happens if <laughs> if Justin and Jugmead get into a fight? You know, what are the conditions to walk away from an agreement like this, if there are any? Yeah, well, you know, I know the prime minister has done boxing, but, you know, Jugmead <laughs> is the mixed martial arts guy. So I don't know. I would put my money on Jugmead in that anyways. Um yeah, we thought about that, right? Like, should we have like a formalized kind of, and this is how you get out of it. And we kind of resisted that a little bit because I don't want to go into it thinking that we're going to need to get out of it. But there are guardrails there, right? They have to talk to each other. Um, at the staff level, we have to talk to each other. They have to let us know what they're doing. We have to let them know what we're doing. There's a no surprises clause. They can't just spring on us like, oh, by the way, we're going to privatize healthcare and it's going to be a confidence vote tomorrow. There you go, NDP. Good luck to you. That's not something that is supposed to happen in this agreement. Absolutely. Every agreement you know, only works as long as people have good faith and work together on it. Yes, it's possible this will fall apart at some point. But I think we have tried to put in a lot of processes so that if it is starting to fall apart, we force people to talk about it before they walk away. Got it. And I hate to bring up this sort of political game kind of question Mm -hmm. after what we've talked about, but I do have to ask. I like the game too. Like, I (laughs) don't get me wrong. I like the game. It's a complicated world, this this politics world. But there is a cynical view, right? That the NDP just bought itself more time to prepare for the next election with this Mm -hmm. agreement. You know, the party spent a lot of money in the last election. This gives them more time to campaign. They have more solid things to campaign on, raise funds prepare for the next one. Mm-hmm. Is that true or false? I think every party in the parliament wants more time before the next election. Do you think the conservatives want to go to an election right now without a leader? I don't think so. They can say what they want. The truth is that they do not. And there were times in the last minority parliament where it looked like we might go to an election that the conservatives were pretty happy that we didn't let that happen, even though they all voted for it. So, you know, I don't think anybody wants an election right now. I don't think the Canadians want an election right now. I think that's true. Um, But, you know, when we approached this a few times, we reminded ourselves, like, we don't need this agreement to continue on. The government also didn't need this agreement to continue on. It wasn't a situation, you know, like in British Columbia in 2017, where the only way the New Democrats would govern was with an agreement. Um, So neither of us needed this. We could keep going. We could keep going for the next few years, doing what we're doing, going vote to vote, negotiating what we can, voting for them sometimes, voting against them sometimes. That would have been okay. We can be ready for another election in pretty short order if we need to do. So this is not like an agreement born of fear. This is an agreement born of a desire to get things, to get things done. So it's a win-win for everyone, it seems. Well, I mean, we'll we'll see. I think it does really make it much more difficult for the Conservatives and the Bloc to claim relevance in this minority parliament. I think that is also true. It is going to be, and I think that's why they're mad, because you know they don't they don't have an ability to be relevant, or as much of an ability as they did before. My last question. Um, and maybe this is something only I've noticed. I find it fascinating that the top strategists to both 
Jugmeath and Justin are women. Mm-hmm. And we're somehow in the room where, you know, this macho personality fight <laughs> ended for a little while or, or agreed to simmer down. To what extent did both of you, you and, and Katie Telford, have influence here? Mm-hmm. Well, this like this does not happen with a Jigmeet and the prime minister wanting to have it happen. That is very true. And they both wanted to make it happen. So that is true, right? Doesn't happen without that. Um, and, you know, I can't speak for the prime minister. I can speak for Jigmeet. You know, Jigmeet is somebody who like fundamentally respects uh, the power of women. I do think like we were pretty constructive parts of it, both of us. We were mm-hmm. we were very kind of constructive when we talked to each other and collaborative. We're also both in politics for a long time and we also have those instincts, right? And I think we're pretty honest about that with each other. And, you know, I also think like, I hope that, I believe, you know, that we are also kind of both giving a lot of our lives to this work because we do actually want to see some things accomplished. But yeah, I mean, I, the prime minister and, and Jagmeet did not bring a macho sensibility to this <laughs> at all. Um, they brought a sensibility of, you know, what can we get done? What can we get accomplished? And they set the tone for the rest of us. Thank you for bringing us such a nice political moment to be able to talk about <laughs> and figure. It, it is it is unfortunately so rare. And as someone who's very idealistic and believes a lot that politics has great impact, this was really fun and, and mm-hmm. very, very interesting. Well, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll have more of those. There are also going to be moments where we're going to tear our hair out. But, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> hopefully this sets us up for more of those kind of moments where people can all be like, okay. That's what I want to see. Well, I hope you'll come back once the policies are in place and we can talk about that again. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I'm sure you'll have me on saying, so why isn't this happening? Well, you know. Yeah. That was The Backbench. Join us next week for the return of our politics panel. And a reminder, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can now support all of Canada Land's political podcasts. That means this show, Commons, and Wag the Dug for $2.99 a month. If you liked what you heard today, or if you have questions, concerns, rants, send us an email, backbench at canadaland.com. We're also on Twitter at BackbenchCast. I'm Fatma Sayed, and you can find me on Twitter at Fatma B. Sayed, and you can find my work on the Narwhal. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Tristan Capacione. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn. Theme music is by Nathan Burley. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.